Today's reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 5a. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Rise and shine and lift up your eyes and look. Is there anything quite as spectacular as a sunrise breaking through the black of night or the sun breaking through gloomy dark clouds? Sometimes it takes seeing the darkness to believe in the light. In the dark, it's hard to believe that the glory of the Lord is upon us. It's as if seeing the darkness is the key to believing in the light. Perhaps we've all had nights of pain and struggle where we longed for dawn to break and relieve us of our isolation. The loneliness and the isolation that is darkness seems to amplify our pain. Then finally, morning dawns with people awake and capable of helping us. A pastor described his vacation during which he watched many of the sunrises over the Santa Rita Mountains of Southern Arizona. At five, it was pitch dark. He couldn't even see the outline of the mountains. And at six, the sky was beginning to lighten and he could make out the contours of the jagged peaks. At seven, the sun suddenly broke over a notch in the mountains and the room where he sat was flooded with brilliant sunshine. It made him think of the way Isaiah 60 describes the coming of the Lord. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. God came into the world like a sunburst. In the beginning, God's first order of creation business was to create light. According to Genesis, God did not create the sun first, nor the stars, nor any proximate source of light. Just light, pure radiant light. And it's one of the several features of Genesis 1 that seems to fit well with the scientific theory of the Big Bang. Whatever else the Big Bang was, it was most assuredly one gargantuan burst of light. The cosmos began in the light. The universe was born when light flashed into the deep darkness of the primordial night and from God's first light came life. 
Genesis tells us that God made humankind from the dust of the earth. And science tells a similar story. From what we can tell, after that first burst of cosmic radiance, eventually stars were born. They blazed their light into space, but eventually died out. And from the ashes of those dead stars was created the very stuff of life itself, carbon. God created us out of the dust of long dead stars. Something of their radiance has passed into our very lives. We are stardust beings created by God to bear our own kind of brilliance as he fashioned us in the divine image. But darkness persists. Lynn and I watched a detective series called Bosch set in Los Angeles and dubbed at one time, Los Angeles was the city of lights. The main character is a man named Hieronymus Bosch who doggedly pursues perpetrators of dark, gruesome crimes and sometimes struggles alone to stand even against the darkness of his colleagues. I think we were drawn to this drama by his single-minded pursuit of justice and his commitment to bring the light of truth to corruption. The characters were complex and relationships grew in, in insight and openness. One of the novels upon which the series is based is entitled A Darkness More Than Night. And throughout that particular story, Harry Bosch frequently observes that the city of light is very dark. Perhaps the dark plots of Bosch can serve as a picture of the thick darkness that covers the earth and the light that comes with a commitment to truth and justice. This theme of darkness is found not only in verse two of Isaiah 60, it is the focus of the entire previous chapter. Isaiah 59 is full of sin, confession, and judgment as summarized in verse nine. So justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadow. We can talk about this dark time of year, the bleak midwinter, where the days are short and sunless and the nights are long and bitter. But Isaiah 59 and 60 are talking about a darkness deeper than night. It's a moral and spiritual darkness caused by the fact that your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Isaiah 59, 2. I don't think I need to convince you that we live in similar darkness as described in Isaiah. It still seems shocking and inconceivable that a year ago, January 6th, the very day we celebrate and mark God's light shining into the world's darkness, that very day, darkness was unleashed in the nation's capital. The same crowd displayed Bible verses and Christian symbols and Christians prayed Christian sounding prayers, prayers that 
invoked violence against the vice president. Prayers that were prayed by people who felt that God had given them the mandate to employ violence, to assert their power and control to get their way. I, I read a transcript of all the prayers that were prayed that day and many were shocking. At the same time as these prayers were being uttered, gallows were being constructed. Peacekeepers were trampled, impaled, and killed. Rioting people behaved like animals. I don't know about you, but I'm ashamed at the association of the name of Christ with shockingly unchrist-like behavior. It's far from light producing. The violence enacted was completely opposite of Christ's call to and Christ's example of nonviolence. Of course, we can describe in detail other instances of darkness, both individually and in our common life. But that darkness is what makes Isaiah 60 such a glorious text. Verse 2 summarizes it powerfully. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises upon you and appears over you. There's the gospel, the hope of the gospel, but the glory of the Lord. It's a true gospel that needs to be preached and lived in this very dark world. But to whom is Isaiah speaking? I believe it's about Israel and it's about us. It's about Jerusalem and it's about Jesus. It's about then and it's about now and later. It's pregnant with meaning. Good news that's time bound and timeless and timely. For every time and every place and every person, the good news is that the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. That brings light into our thick darkness. Out of the darkness, two things emerge, according to this word from God. First, everyone is coming home. The sons and daughters of Jerusalem will come back home. Now, some of God's people came home from exile, but many others remain scattered over the empire and the earth. But here, God promises that when the light of God's glory shines into darkness, your sons are coming from distant lands and your little daughters will be carried home. All God's people will come back to God, drawn by the light. And that's good news for exiled Jews and for us Gentiles who have children who perhaps are exiled. We of the nations come home to the light because it is light, and yet it remains mysterious, as is Isaiah 60. On the one hand, the chapter opens with, arise, let your light shine for all to see. And yet, we read that it's ultimately Yahweh who shines upon the people. Who is doing the shining, the people or God? 
I say both. It's because the Lord God, Yahweh, shines on the people that the people themselves can shine. But they are more than a mirror that reflects light. The prophet doesn't say, rise, reflect, but rise and shine. The nations don't come to reflected light, but to the people's own brightness. It all seems a bit mixed up, and yet maybe it hangs together in a larger sense. Because of who God is, we ourselves possess our own luminosity. We're not just mirrors that reflect, but our own source of light. We've heard the phrase reflected glory. There are people in life, we call them groupies, who like to bask in the light of others. They themselves are not the president, but they love to stand near him and get captured in the same photo as the president. And then they can tell other people how close they are to the president. They may even brag a bit about their proximity to power. These are the people who exhibit a kind of fake casualness when name dropping in a conversation. The other day I was talking to the president and I said, Joe, <laughs> and once you hear that, you know what's going on. Maybe we felt the impulse to somehow capture reflected glory. Have you ever been asked to introduce someone famous at a lecture? Have you ever had the opportunity to sit on the platform with the guest of honor who's a celebrity of some kind? If so, then you know how special you feel or you can feel being close to someone well-known. True, no one came to hear you introduce the speaker and no one paid a hefty price for his or her seat to stare at you sitting up on the platform but still, you feel like maybe some of this other person's celebrity rubs off on you. But it's still just reflected glory. And a reflection does not have much substance of its own. Apparently, reflected sunlight has very little heat to it. Something always gets lost in the reflection process. But when the light you're talking about, when the reflected glory you're considering has as its source, no one less than Almighty God, all of those typical categories of reflection get turned on their head. In this case, the original light is so intense, so radiant, so holy, and so good, and has a substance all its own, a substance and righteousness so powerful that one cannot reflect that light without simultaneously being caught up in it and transformed by the light. So that is how we can be both shined upon and shine in our own right too. This coming of God's glory in Isaiah 60 is like a thunderbolt of glory, a shift in chapters 58 and 59 from gloom and despair to light and glory. And it's God's response to the people's crookedness and despair. 
they don't mend their ways first. Rather, God comes, breaks forth, arises, and shines in glory. God always brings saving glory. Repentance, mending ways, living justly is a response to God's coming. Not an attempt to made, be made right with God, but a thanksgiving for the God who comes in glory, offering glorious salvation. In the Hebrew scriptures, God's presence is designated by glory. But God doesn't possess glory. God is glory. Now this glory and light arises among the people. It is the Lord who arises among them, giving what the Lord gives, life and salvation. The good news is this giving is not just for the remnant of Israel. It's not just for those who've returned from exile, but for all the nations. Now all the nations will come with what is specific to them, their own little glories and bring them to the Lord. Just as in Isaiah six, the temple could not contain the glory. Now also here in chapter 60, the people of Israel cannot contain it. The presence of God expands outward toward the whole cosmos. Of course, there always was and will be opposition to God's light even among those who believe in it, even among those who try to live in the light and who consider themselves the light of the world. From the beginning, the light shines in the darkness and darkness opposes it from within and without. Light exposes everything that is hidden, but nothing can stop the light from shining. The light shines, present tense. God's brilliant luminous light shines in, throughout and from our very being. This means that no matter where we are, no matter how we are, no matter how weary or worn down we are, no matter how, dis how disillusioned we are, no matter what we are, God's light warms our gloomy souls, pierces through our shadowy faith, and radiates our clouded consciousness so that we can feel God's grace and love upon us once again. And the world will be drawn to the light of Christ within us a community of people transformed by God's grace. How will God's light transform you in the coming year? Rise and shine. Lift up your heads and look toward the glory of God. Amen. During our time of reflection, unintended, huh? <laughs> How can you light your world? 
What ways can you allow the light of Christ, the warming, attractive light of Christ to shine through you, to shine through your brokenness, those cracks, the light shines through them. How and in what ways can we let the light shine through our covenant community, church community? Your leadership team is praying about this, is asking good questions. How can we make a difference in our community? So pray for us and we will pray for one another as we seek to be and allow the light of Christ to shine through us. So spend some time with the Lord right now and thinking about this.